0: Welcome to another episode of When Push Comes to Shove. I am very, very lucky today to be speaking to Elsie Gale. Thank you so much for joining me, Elsie. It's
1: good to be here, Nikita. Thank you.
0: Thank you for coming. So um, for those of you who don't know, Elsie is a legend in the birth world, and (laughs) we are so lucky to be talking to her today. So Elsie, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, how you got into midwifery and What you're doing now tell us your journey the
1: floor is yours right thank you it's i hope it's a very large floor because i've been (laughs) (laughs) doing this work for a very long time so well i am a member of a family of six children so you know birth was always integral in terms of family life I, however, didn't really fancy being a midwife until I was doing my nurse training. So I was following in the footsteps of my dear mother, now departed this life. And um, she was a nurse and very caring and focused, very patient-centered, let me say. And I guess some of those attributes, you know, sort of rubbed off on me in terms of becoming a nurse. I was looking for something to do. I was really crazy about music. Music has been a part of my life since I was a child, all types of music. Um, And as a Jamaican, reggae music, drumming, Rastafarian music, all those things, but also classical music. So our house was full of music. So if I had not had the vocation of being a midwife, I think music music was my um, major passion, but also writing journalistic writing um researching interviewing those sorts of things really finding the stories particularly stories of heritage but i think all those things have come together now in terms of me being a midwife simply because when i discovered midwifery actually to be honest i found the nurse training a little boring (laughs) it was um uh, you know, it, it it was good. We had a good crowd of people. Um, I trained in the UK on the south coast. There's a good crowd of people, some of whom we're still friends until this day, but I found it um, kind of regimented, a little bit boring, and that includes psychiatric nursing, which was seemed to me just sitting around chatting. People were smoking. There was a lot of eating, and, you know, I, I didn't quite understand that, but when it came to doing the secondment for midwifery, It it wasn't called midwifery, it was called obstetrics. There was a spark that lit up in me and that was in my second year and it was all I could do to hurry up and finish nursing so that I could do my midwifery. So I actually got accepted before I completed my nurse training and went straight into becoming a midwife. And my journey, As a midwife, uh, the training was very woman-centered. I was very fortunate to live in the community that I was serving. And having a community midwife placement that took me inside of my own living community and gave me grounding in good community midwifery ways of working. It was a really good cohort of community midwives. But also within the hospital, the care was very woman focused. And we were taught to be, or certainly encouraged to be the front line of the maternity service as midwives. And we, each of us in terms of the hierarchy was allied to. So for example, the director of midwifery services allied herself to the consultant midwife. So the consultant obstetrician rather there were no consultant midwives at the time, but midwifery sisters then were seen as the registrars, the senior regis. Um, the more senior midwives um, midwives were um, as the regis. And then us more newly qualified sat above the trainee doctors who were, you know, doctors who were training to become obstetricians. So we were encouraged to think like that, to learn like that and to behave like that. And I think that is something that a grounding that has taken me all through my working as a midwife. But also very humble in terms of really recognizing that we are not always right. We need to be listening to each other, respecting each clinician and their, what they bring to the care of the woman. And that I think has been always ever my way of working. And I've worked up and down this country, running behind my beloved husband (laughs) who was doing, you know, he was doing his career thing and then we went off to Jamaica to work for a while. I didn't actually work as a midwife in Jamaica, although I was registered and that was the first time I was able to look at my training records, you know, what was said about me and I I was actually surprised because I was just busy doing my thing, enjoying what I was doing But actually, it seems though, even my training days, I was highly commended as a focused, woman focused midwife. And it was only when the registrar or somebody um, in one of these countries I worked in showed it to me. She said, I'm really surprised. And then she showed it to me. So I thought, right. Anyway, we moved on from there and we went to work in Africa again. So at that point, I was... um, a nurse midwife, so not just working as a midwife, but working also as a nurse. And at a much higher level than UK midwives and nurses, well, certainly the midwives work here, because we were um, setting up a clinic, a primary healthcare clinic, brand new building, brand new equipment. Um, we had no ambulance, so we had to find an ambulance from somewhere, but really just setting up a service for the people in the community. And then linking a referral to the major obstetric unit in the city. So I was, there was a huge learning for me in terms of, you know. Where in Africa were you working? Oh, oh, Botswana. Okay. Yeah. So Botswana had a really good um, plan for their um, population. What they were doing was inviting a load of different uh, professionals to come in to support their systems, to share the learning, I guess, you know, that we had, but also to allow their own people to go abroad, to study, gather the requisite knowledge, to come back to their country. So there were, you know, a lot of us were on contracts, um, going you know, in, into Botswana on contracts. So yeah, but um, after a while, we, we decided to come back because we were traveling with our three children One of whom was getting ready to go off the university. So he had a university career pathway. And in order for that to be fulfilled, we had to be back in the country in time for him to fulfill that. But during this time, I think we were thinking, you know, in terms of where where else can we go? Like we had the Wanderlust, I think. So we were thinking, I mean, I sort of eyed up New Zealand because they were looking for midwives and I really appreciated the way in which New Zealand works. Mm. You know, it, it's they had independent midwives contracted to give care to women so that women don't have to pay. But also the other important bit that is, you know, sucking our system now is the business of the indemnity insurance. Mm -hmm. So these midwives are indemnified. They can actually work well within the remit of being a midwife. And so that was so attractive. The downside for us was the fact that New Zealand is so far away from everything on the planet. You know, it was just, and it would be a new environment for our family. And really, what do we do? Anyway, the long and short of it is, That we returned and in actual fact we returned to the area that we had left so in the west midlands and we came back and set up house i returned to where i was working before the unit i was working before and yeah we're still here now in the main in the main so yeah it's been it's been a really interesting journey but what I think happened to me was, or certainly what I noticed, and on deeper reflection, had I been more experienced, I would have um, perhaps done things a little differently. Inasmuch as when I came back, the culture of the NHS, the culture of the units, the culture of maternity care was so different. It was now so, I don't know, terrible, really, in my eyes, having been working in in a woman-centred, evidence-based way. Joyous, sometimes a lot of trauma, but still working with the trauma in, in ways that were positive, you know. But it was just shocking to me. And it was as though somebody had flung me into boiling water rather than, you know, people who stayed here were sort of, you know, the thing about the frog, you put yeah. a frog in water, you boil it up and they don't notice, so they just carry on. <laughs> but if you yeah. throw one in, into boiling water, it will jump out. And I think that's basically, you know, how, for, 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 how it was for me. And so I took a long time, it took me a time to kind of understand what was going on. I was bullied. I I mean, this is the first time now I was really experiencing the bullying culture within the profession. I think we've always had um, challenges in the profession. So I remember what we would call bullying now. You know, so I remember my mother saying, you know, things that were happening when she was training, you know, people making an apple pie bed. So you make a bed, you make the bed, but the person can't get in the bed because of the way the bed is made. And then people would laugh at them or they would send somebody down to the theater to collect a fallopian tube. And people would laugh at them when they couldn't, you know. So I think those things have always existed. You know, I find them funny, but then there are some people who don't find them funny. They see them as bullying. And I guess in another way you could. But the bullying I experienced when I returned to to working in in the NHS and, and particularly that unit was so horrendous that it caused me to feel very unsafe in the department and to feel that people would be damaged or lose their lives or something would go so seriously wrong. And I would, I was seeing it, Mm. but nobody else was seeing it. So it led me on a pathway to look to see what the remedies were when I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fulfill patient safety when I was using the, the usual challenges of raising in at this level and then if nothing, the next level and the next level. So it actually contributed to me losing my job as a midwife in the unit and set me on a path of trying to use processes that actually don't work. Because to challenge the employment um, situation, the employment tra- through the employment tribunal, the appeals tribunal, the court system, you have to have endless pots of money. You have to have people who understand what's going on from your perspective as a midwife as a clinician. And it, 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 you know it, that was quite a journey in itself. People have lost their lives, their livelihoods, their houses. and you know thankfully those things didn't happen to me. I have remained ever a midwife, (laughs) ever woman-focused, always raising concerns appropriately. And, you know, it's just been difficult. But I've also been able to look at the other parts of midwifery. So becoming an independent midwife, looking at how that works. And actually I was really, really fortunate because as a new midwife, I was supporting um, an independent midwife who lived way out of area. So when she was booking clients in the area in which I lived, she asked me whether I would just be her backup. So I learned quite a lot from that particular independent midwife in the right in the beginning of my learning as a midwife. But that also supported me as I was traveling through Jamaica and through to Botswana, and then helped me to explore those things when I actually had to find another way of working outside of the NHS.
0: When you came back and um, you were thrown into the boiling pot, as you put it, what key things uh, would you say had changed?
1: the level of bullying was more severe. Right. Is
0: that, so, is that amongst your peers, your, your colleagues?
1: Yes, amongst the colleagues, mm. but also towards midwives mm. as clinicians yeah. working in the field. Um, that, that was one. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was more than just a joke it was people being really malicious and mean that that is how I that's basically what happened to me yeah and i it was so bad or so yeah I, I that i didn't i I felt it but i didn't recognize what was going on it was actually one of the staff on the delivery suite who saw what was going on who said to me elsie this is what's happening and then she said you know refer yourself to oki health And then it was the occupational health nurse that said to me, you are being bullied and you need to leave. Well, actually, I didn't see why I needed to leave because actually the things that were happening were not correct. Mm. So that was one aspect of the change. The other aspect of the change that was for me the worst, really. I mean, it was the fact that somebody was going to lose their lives. Somebody was going to lose their life as a result of this toxic behavior and the toxic culture, seriously. But also there was the, you know, it was just after the time of, I think it was the Bristol inquiry, where um, the organization of a memory, that's, that's one document that had been produced as a result of the Bristol inquiry. And it was saying the things that I was thinking so I was able to read that and refer to it in terms of um, clarifying my understanding about the situation in which I was working. It, it, it was a challenge. So those two things for me were, you know, and, and to be honest now, I guess if it was that bad, and if I had a music degree and some other, I would have left, really. But. You know, this was my chosen career, my chosen vocation. I loved what I did, you know, and and yeah. So I, well, I guess I've just sort of continued the line. But then several gifts were given to me to help me to follow um, the thread of improving the care for women, all women. But then also what um, came to my attention was what was going on for black women and their babies. I did several different things in order to try and make a difference. I became a rep um, for a trade union. I sought and attended a leadership course for the NHS, which was being supported by the, um, the regional um, NHS organization in the West Midlands. I attended that, I enjoyed that. It was something that met the needs, my needs and values. So what I recognized also was that particular people have needs and values that need to be met. So for example, my leadership course was, it was based in my community. It met the needs in terms of uh, leadership values, management values, um, clinical values, but also the spiritual aspect Of the work that we were doing the nurturing of our women who would produce our society in which we had to live and then the other things that were important for women so a lot of women have a faith a very strong faith and we need to work with that but also women who have no faith and we need to work with that you know whoever the people are but that also actually fitted into the scope of being a midwife being non-judgmental meeting the needs of people, taking them from where you find them, supporting them rather than running them down and being mean and malicious to them, you know, which is some of the things I have actually seen. So it was, um, yeah, quite an awakening for me, really, in a funny sort of a way
0: it help me to define was myself. Sure. I'm not quite sure about the BAME issue in maternity care. Can you briefly explain um, the issues surrounding uh, the BAME community in birth?
1: Okay, so when I returned in 2001 and began to really look deeply at the issues that were affecting me, so what happened, well, some of the things that were happening, which caused me to begin to look at what was going on, you know, what were the reasons for the things that were I was seeing in the workplace. For example, a woman would come in. It was a time when HIV was highly stigmatized. Now, I had been working in countries who had an HIV AIDS problem. I had been trained in both countries um, in terms of whatever projects were going on for prevention of HIV AIDS, mother to child transmission. So I've been trained in both countries. I was working in the community with people who thought they had Definitely had didn't want to know they had HIV/AIDS, and clinicians who were working around that, and all the WHO uh, programs that were given to us. So I was well versed in that, and came back into this country when women who were coming in, some of whom we knew were HIV/AIDS uh, HIV positive some who didn't want to know, you know, the same sort of scenario in terms of the people who were attending for service, but also similarly to the PPE situation now that we are meeting, the lack of attention to supporting clinicians with the appropriate um, PPE uh, policies and structures to work with women in these situations. So often, and, and no, not often, I can just say for sure there was one instance when a woman came in a black woman and a black midwife declined to look after her and nobody then volunteered to look after this woman because she was hiv positive so you know a woman rings up they fetch the old notes well they look in and they see what the situation is yes 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 yeah yeah i'm talking about that when we're here now So i was thinking to myself this is ridiculous anyway so i said well i'll take her and so i you know took her and looked at i can't remember beyond that what i do remember is this refusal to look after this woman and the fact is i then thought well you know i'll look after her and and so on so i, I don't remember what happened after that but i did take her and what, then what happened to me as a black midwife? So I, I noticed a kind of a denigration of black women towards each other as clinicians, towards the patients as, um, yeah, p- p- women as patients, but also women as normal, um, having, you know, normal um, birth functions. But also what we see, what I saw then in the organisation was, this um, denigration of the midwife, but also of the black woman who was a midwife. So for example, there was nobody who had uh, a post above um, the lead for um, say delivery suite. There was nobody leading the unit who was black. The one black woman I think came and left before I was there. Um, But but apart from that, there was very few at any level to organise us, to effect change and and leadership and warmth that was inclusive. That's what I saw. So, looking into the working of national midwifery services, there was a unit in London who'd had something like 10 maternal deaths. That was investigated national, you know, national team went in and investigated that and what i saw from that investigation was that none of the women were white but then they went in and looked at the 10 deaths again so that was a, a a a more intense investigation and if i am right if i recall it right it was said somewhere in the document that it was you know the fact of these higher numbers of black women who were dying was to be expected because of the demography of the the, the area in which the unit sat and, you know, the women that it was caring for, which as far as I'm concerned was just so bad. And then following on from that, I was then attending all the confidential inquiries into maternal death, which is what Embrace now has evolved to be. And each and every time there was, I noted that there was a significant, for me, a significant number of black women who were impacted by maternity services as opposed to anybody else. And I believe Gwyneth Lewis, when she came up to Birmingham to talk about this in about 2004, I was then doing some other work. I'd, I'd gotten a, a work, piece of work outside of the NHS to look at continuity of care model in a deprived area of Birmingham. And she came up to meet with the Strategic Health Authority and others working in the community. And she actually said that, you know, there was an issue for black women. But actually following it all the way through, it's only into 2018 that there's been any national or real recognition right across the board that there is an issue for Black women. But I've been, you know, I've been talking about it in little groups, to midwives, not necessarily to women, because I I, I wouldn't want to scare women. All of a sudden now, it's become flavour of the month. And I'm truly hoping that we can actually make a difference in terms of this real issue that is so deep and has been such a part of maternity care that nobody has really particularly paid attention to.
0: From your point of view, what do you think the cause is for... for
1: well, the- <clears throat> well, to the- be frank, it is as a result of racism.
0: Right.
1: And-, and What about the actual know-
0: statistics for, um, is it four times more likely to have serious complications in birth or death? I'm, I'm, I'm not remembering the actual-
1: Okay so it is five times well it was last year it was five times more likely to die Whim, black women are five times more likely to die than their counterparts and asian women um less so i think it's two to three times more likely to die but also the babies our babies are 50 percent more likely to uh, be a stillbirth than any other, so you know the statistics are stark. But I believe also, and I've said this in a number of fora, that the statistics, the, the the way the statistics are collected and reported, are not necessarily correct either, because the lens that measures and looks at collects these um, statistics are a bit skewed. So it's like this. As a result, and, and the thing about racism, it's, it is it is deep, it's far-reaching, it has a lens that is sometimes a little bit blurred because we don't understand all issues surrounding racism. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure I don't either really, but it's only from looking at what academics are saying, historians are saying, women are saying, you know, you have to kind of look in the round and then kind of try and get a, a perspective of it. But if you think about it like this, chattel, the transatlantic, the chattel slavery, and then the indentured labor that's followed on from that. So people of the West Indies inherently are of mixed origin. Very few are um, you know, of one, one particular race. And if you take myself, for example, I know definitely that I've got European, African and Indian. Um, heritage. Those are my particular heritage. Now, I am described as a black woman. I identify socially as a black woman. And if you look at the statistics, it talks about black African, black Caribbean, and then it talks about mixed race. You know, who are these people really at the end of the day? Does it make any sense? You know, and I've gone to school in, so I went to school in Jamaica. I've been to school with people who look white, right? <laughs> it's just how it is, you know, and, and they're not totally white. It is how the genes have um, been configured. So I, and, and then when you look at what academics are saying, they're saying things like race is a social construct. You know, what is the the the, What is the meaning of race? What is the purpose of defining people in terms of race? What is all, you know, what is that all about? And this is what I love about, you know, certainly my midwifery training. It may have had some racism in there, but it was talking about being non-judgmental. And I guess I took that concept on board. So it really doesn't matter to me, to be honest, where this woman comes from, who she is. She comes to me as a woman who is pregnant, needing maternity care, she may be thinking about pregnancy, whatever it is, and then my training and my, um, the way I work delivers for her in terms of her needs and values. You know? So it's, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's a very difficult thing, but we live in a society that... Hmm?
0: Unbelievable. If you look at the data surrounding um, Black maternal deaths, what, what are you finding? What, what's the common denominator? Why, why is this happening? you know are they receiving different care you know what what's going on what's the physiology here what's what's happening um i don't know i just i can't i can't understand like why this is happening racism clearly is a huge part to play and probably mostly like the the cause for this but i'm trying to understand on like a quantifiable level why on earth this is happening and now like why is this happening now how is this a thing
1: well i think racism is deeply embedded into societies not just this society but societies per se right across the board and there is um the you know the, so thinking in terms of what pan-africanists would say um academics who look really carefully at these issues would say is that there is a domination of black people people of different hues than than the white population white european population and as a result of this it's it's like a power thing and a, you know in terms of oppression in very different ways so as well as the color thing the race thing you also have class as well you know so they'll talk about race and class that actually causes the you know causes these problems to be so deeply embedded we can't actually Tease, it's very difficult to tease them out and to make a difference. What,
0: that, life, what are the causes? What are the causes of death? What, like
1: in, in causes pre- of death? Well, sometimes, well, there are... there is lack of attention. When you look at the causes of death right across the board, and no, we're not talking about colour now, mm-hmm. there is a lack of attention and sometimes a lack of knowledge as to how things work. So, for example, I say to women in, 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 in my in antenatal period, should anything happen in terms of your pregnancy, you cannot go to ANE. You cannot go to ANE because ANE has been proven. And this is what the confidential inquiries, these are the really useful things that the confidential inquiries has brought out. Women need to go, pregnant women need to go to the appropriate place for care. So if you go to ANE, with um, an antepartum hemorrhage, say for example, you're going to be less better off than if you attend the delivery suite or the triage or the maternity service anyway, which will deal with that in the appropriate way because they have the obstetrician, the midwife, uh, the scanning facilities and whatever is needed to support women.
0: woman. They let you go to triage before 20 weeks, which many don't.
1: Well, some do, some do, some do. But any really, you know, so those are the sorts of things that have come out of um, the learning from the confidential inquiries, including the embrace. I put that included there as well. So some of it is lack of knowledge, which we are learning a lot through these inquiries. Some of it is some negligence. God forbid that that is the case, but, you know, that is so. Some of it is. The, I, and I think what I've seen sometimes in, you know, when things really fail is a lack of care and attention. And sometimes that lack of care and attention is because of the lack of continue the lack of understanding for the woman's situation. So you would find out the continuity, this is why the continuity of care and model is supreme. Really, it is supreme. Because you the woman knows you, you know the woman. She wouldn't be calling you at two o'clock in the morning if she wasn't worried. And if she's worried, then I'm gonna be worried as well. I wanna know what's going on, you know? Whereas if you've got to phone up a triage, which sometimes you phone triage, this is all over the country now I'm saying, right? Not just one particular place. You will phone and it'll ring out and you're gonna try again and again before you actually get through. Well, when the continuity of care a midwife who is on call for that woman say 24 7 in, in 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 the best possible way then or if you have a direct link link to a midwife when you call they'll be answering the phone and they will be thinking you know like what's going on and i need to be really thinking about and i know this woman i know her history blah 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 yeah, so um it's 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 It seems to be this industrial model, which has evolved out of maternity care for various different reasons, I I hasten to add. You know, it it causes um, us to be less careful. The industrial model, it goes, you know, you, you, you have to fit into this box and the thing goes along and it just goes along and you might actually fall between the gaps. You know, this is kind of how the industrial model works. Whereas, And if I can point to one of the most successful continuity of carer models, the Albany practice. As far as I know, all of the midwives in there were white. They served a population that was very mixed. Certainly, um, there was a high level of deprivation. A lot of the women were black, but because there was this ability to connect in a more Um, personalised way, their outcomes were better, there was the non-judgmental situation kind of was negated, and um, sorry, the judgmental (laughs) situation was negated, so their outcomes were better, but for whatever reason, that practice no longer exists, and in actual fact, if we look right across the the maternity care systems where these things have been put into place, something happens to destroy them. So we can talk about um, the Kim Scheme, Caroline Flint's scheme at St George's, and then she went on to have a private practice that didn't, you know, there was no sustainability behind it. The Albany practice that went, one to one midwives that went neighbourhood midwives, that went. And then we have now the independent midwives who are struggling to be able to provide the best possible care. Whilst in the NHS, the system is struggling because, and particularly in this pandemic, they, they, they are not able to support the women in the ways that women want to be supported. But we got midwives out there who are willing to work in the best possible way and not, that just doesn't seem to happen, you know.
0: Well, the issue there from where I'm sitting at the moment, especially as you say, during the pandemic, you know, people's options are so limited. And I totally empathise with, as you were saying earlier, the people that do not fall into the, the categories of the, the tick boxing. I, I, was, I wasn't one of them. So I... I couldn't have the birth that I wanted with the NHS, so I went elsewhere. But because there's no insurance now for independent midwives. So having to free birth because you don't have a choice is not a choice. That's, that's not even an option. That shouldn't be an option. And the midwives that are wanting to give this care can't because they're referrals to the NMC left, right and centre.
1: Yeah.
0: And but that's that's not they're not options. They're like lesser of two evils. Do I go to a hospital full of COVID or forget COVID? I didn't want to go to hospital in the first place. Or do I free birth? Free birthing out of fear. That's not a good, no. a good recipe for success, no. is it?
1: Especially when women are entitled to maternity care. Oh. Reading the expert maternity policy, better birth there is a section in there that looks at um, the personal personal budget. So that's one of the things that I've been pursuing with the group of women in our locality. You know, ask for your personal budget so that you can then utilise an independent midwife. There must be a way that we can actually actualize that budget. The budget primarily sits in other um, disciplines, so I know people who have continuing care, they're able to access budget. We've also been able to access personal budgets for um, people with mental health issues who identify their needs and values and the requisite care. And this is in terms of people who have particular spiritual, cultural needs that you know need to be looked at, and, and then you define the budget carefully to me. So what is wrong with that actually happening for pregnant women? I have no idea. But there's this major resistance to that happening, although it is part of the policy. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the answer is at this stage, but I'm hoping through our podcasts and our interviews that women can actually have the answer themselves. If more and more women are standing up for themselves and saying, I, I'm not accepting this subpar care, or you know, I'm not accepting a no, or I'm not allowed, then you know, that's when maybe we can see a change. Yeah. Uh, women are trying to do it themselves rather than changing within the system. But um, anyway, Elsie, we are way over time, but it's been oh, no. fascinating listening to you. And I, I thank you so much for coming and joining me today. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing. I, I'm definitely gonna watch this back myself several times cause you've made some really <laughs> interesting points and I wanna look further into this myself. So thank you for
1: joining us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share some of my thoughts. And, you know, I think the fact is that we need to do that in order to move forward. We cannot just allow the systemic way of working to continue because so many women want something different.